Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. Parking at SFO is easy when you book online. You can choose dates and times in advance and secure the best rates to make your departure stress-free. Learn more at flysfo.com parking. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. Hey there, everybody. It's that time again from KQED Public Radio. This is Political Breakdown. I'm Scott Schaefer, Senior Politics Editor here at KQED. And I'm Katie Orr, down from Sacramento while Marisa Lagos is still on vacation. Have to say happy to get out of that heat. Where is she? I think she's in the heat. I think she's somewhere warm. I don't know. But now, ordinarily on the breakdown, when Marisa's here, uh, we start the show with a little banter back and forth about political news, whatever's been going on. But we have so much to talk to our guest about this week that we're going to skip that part. Okay. I like it. So, but that means we're not going to talk about Kim Kardashian's Twitter fight with Assembly Speaker Anthony Rendon. But we could ask our guest about that. We'll see. But <laughs> we, got, we got some other things to talk to him about. Um, and speaking of our guest, he has sued Donald Trump uh, almost 40 times, I think. Uh, I don't know if he sued him yet today. We'll ask. Uh, he's just getting warmed up, uh, but uh, we're happy to have him here. And... Yeah, absolutely. And he came down from Sacramento to join us, Attorney General Javier Becerra. Thank you so much. Welcome to Political Breakdown. Good to see you. You got out of the heat as well. I did, but I'm going to go back. (laughs) (laughs) It's always hot up there. Uh, So, you know, what have you been up to? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Um, You know, so this week you obviously scored a win when much of the Trump administration's lawsuit against SB 54, the sanctuary state law and uh, several other immigration related laws in California was dismissed, which I have to say I was in that hearing. I thought that was surprising. I don't know what you thought. But so tell me your reaction and uh, what is the significance of this? You know, you, you're never quite sure where these are going these cases are going to go because the judges try to make sure they weigh all sides, and so they try not to tip a hand. Um, we, I mean, we felt very confident about the case because the state of California has the rights uh, that every, any other state has to try to decide how to do its public safety, general welfare for its inhabitants. And I think the court's simply stuck by what we've known for a long time. The Constitution gives the states, not the federal government, the right to determine that. So it was a good ruling. And we we are uh, not only buoyed by it, but we think it's going to help us in our case now uh, that we have against the Trump administration's attempt to cut off funding for our law enforcement because they don't like the way we conduct our public safety, not not helping uh, do immigration and enforcement and deportation for the federal government. Now, that lawsuit that was uh, largely dismissed, the one that Jeff Sessions flew all the way to Sacramento to tell us he was going to sue us, it was called USA versus California, which in a way describes your first 18 months as attorney general. You know, in a way it's true, but I wouldn't say USA versus California. I'd say Trump administration against California. Uh, I think the rest of the country wants to see a state that has broad innovation, whether it's in energy or the way we treat immigrants, uh, wants to see uh, the ability to create as many jobs as California has, has become, California has become the economic engine for the country. So I don't think the the United States of America was against California. Certainly uh, Jeff Sessions and Donald Trump 
yeah. were taking their fight to California. But you uh, have filed, as we said, almost 40 lawsuits on issues around women's health, climate change, the travel ban, transgender people in the military, and DACA, on and on and on. How do you decide uh, when to file a lawsuit? Because you could really be filing one almost every day, I imagine. It's 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 a matter of defending what our state has done to become the innovative leader for the country so that we create more jobs than anyone else. We graduate more people from college than anyone else. Uh, we become the leader in so many different industries. Uh, and most people don't think about it, but we're number one in manufacturing, for example. We're one, number one in clean energy. Most people know that. But we're number one in manufacturing, agriculture, technology, et cetera. You don't get there by just sitting back and watching. You have but, to do things. But a lot of the lawsuits have been joined by other attorneys general, yes. 14, 15, 18 total sometimes. Yes. So do you guys have like a hotline? I mean, how do you all communicate <laughs> and decide to get on the same page? Bat phone? It's, it's a great Bat network. Phone, yeah. It's a great network. And uh, it's been a joy to work with a lot of these uh, attorneys general the, throughout the year and a half that I've been in the position. It's tough work. Uh, but what we're essentially doing is def- defending the values that have made California strong. You saw the news today. We have hid our goal of reducing greenhouse gas emissions in 2018 that we were set to meet in, say, 2020. We're pro- we produce less uh, GHGs. Uh, what is that? Greenhouse gas. Oh, okay. Greenhouse gases to this year, well, actually, these are 2016 figures, so it's probably even better now, than we did in 1990. We're making progress. It wasn't free. We made major investments. Our industries made major investments. Can you imagine now if we have an administration in D.C. that says, hey, you know what? Go ahead and start polluting again. It's going to cost us billions of dollars to repollute, to go back to the old ways of doing things. We can't afford to do that. We've made too many investments in clean energy. That's why you have to fight, and that's why we've had to sue. So obviously— the Trump administration and California clash on many things, maybe one of the most notable is immigration. Uh, you know, your parents came to this country from Mexico. So does this strike pretty close to home for you? It's very personal. Um, certainly because of my experiences, I, I think I can uh, bring something to the cases uh, that goes beyond just the legal aspect. Uh, I understand the, the circumstances that a lot of these families go through, whether it's these recent situations with being separated from your children or whether it's the issue of the value of an immigrant to a, to a community or society. Uh, I know that the DACA dreamers have been a net benefit for our state of California. We have one of every four DACA dreamers in the country. Of course we were going to fight for them. People thought it would be a tough fight. We did too, but we made the fight. And so far, we've won. And so far, more than 100,000 of those DACA dreamers have not only kept their status, but they've actually re-enrolled uh, for the DACA program for another two years. You were, of course, in Congress when uh, Donald Trump announced that he was running for uh, president. And uh, immediately, right out of the box, he talked about Mexican immigrants being rapists and murderers. And I, you know, I wonder what your parents, Manuel and Maria Teresa, your, yes. your mom and dad. Yes. Uh, what do they like? What do they make of all that? You know, Scott, it's really interesting when you've been through some of these things. Um, you take it, you absorb it, and you 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 learn how to live with that, and you learn how to move from uh, with that. And one thing that I've learned is that uh, while my parents had to put up with some of these indignities, these injustices, my dad couldn't walk into a restaurant. Uh, because of the song, uh, the signs that said no dogs or Mexicans allowed, even though he was a U.S. citizen. Where was that? That was here in California. 
But where? Like uh, Southern California? Uh, mostly in Sacramento, parts of L.A. You could find those. This is when he was a younger man. Um, you know, he, he never spoke one time in any of the times that I've had an opportunity to be with him ill uh, about this country because it's offered him so much. And it let his four kids go on and have college or serve in the military. And so I think what, they, what you do when you hear someone like Donald Trump say those vile things, you absorb, you remember, but then you try to move forward as best you can. And, and I think they feel very proud that there's an attorney general for the state of California that can absorb, learn, but punch back. Oh, I guess along the lines of punching back, I, I mentioned to a friend the other day, actually, that we were going to be speaking to you. And she said, tell him I demand that those children on the border who have been separated from their parents be released. I demand it. And I said, well, <laughs> he's not, you know, Get that's a, yeah, <laughs> it's a federal issue. But what can, can you do anything? Can the attorney general, you know, can you tour those facilities? Can you say, I'm sorry, private detention centers, you're not allowed to house these children? We, we are somewhat constrained, but uh, we have filed suit, and we are trying to provide these families with what we would expect of any uh, parental child situation, that is, that they not be separated unduly. And so the lawsuit is for the purpose of making sure that these children aren't separated from their parents. Um, federal government does have the right to decide how to conduct immigration processes, and uh, they've done a very poor job, obviously, and very harshly. Um, we're more limited there in what we can do as far as allowing these kids to be freed. There are some rulings by the courts that say that these kids cannot be detained in prison-like facilities forever. And we will try to make sure that uh, people's rights under the Constitution are enforced. But we are limited in how much we can do because it is a federal matter. What you know, At the, at the heart of all this, because th- we, we're seeing, I mean, this family separation is one thing. The message he's sending through the media, uh, all the hoops he's forcing uh, immigrants to go through. There were even immigrants in the military who I think are being now yeah. asked to get out. Like, yeah. what's, what do you feel is going on at, at its heart? Donald Trump, to, to my mind, is feeding what has been out there in part of the country, and that's the sense that um, we're losing our identity to others. And uh, unfortunately, I think he's made it easy for some who believe that the scapegoat is that immigrant parent or immigrant family, uh, making it easy for them to believe that. And the result has been uh, uh, the harsh treatment. Uh, we just released a report last week on crimes in California. They hate show, crimes. Hate, not just hate crimes, all crimes. But one, one of the things the report highlights is that hate crimes are way up in California. Do you attribute, is there a straight line you can draw to him? Well, I mean, um, can you think of any other thing that has caused hate crimes to bounce, to jump up so dramatically uh, year to year? Uh, it's... It's this license that I think uh, Donald Trump has given some folks to go out there and treat people in ways that uh, we would not expect. You know, on on the other hand, this administration, I should say the Brown administration, the state you know, legislature, certainly you have been pushing uh, bills and laws or immigrant, you know, to help protect immigrants. There are some cities in California that are not on board with that. We've seen cities who had joined or signed on in support of the lawsuit against SB 54, you know, and people, critics have said that your office has gone too far. You know, take a break. There are other things for you to be focused on. How do you respond to that? 
Well, first, we, we can't take a break because we have a lot of things to do beyond just suing Donald Trump, and we've been doing them. That's why we were able to get a conviction against one of the largest, if not the largest, purveyor of, of human trafficking in the world, uh, a internet, internet website called Backpage.com. We brought them down, and we uh, com- got conviction against the CEO, and we're still going after others. That's why we've uh, had about seven or eight different gang tech takedowns in the past year or so that I've been office throughout the state of California working with local law enforcement agencies. That's why we continue to pursue uh, fraudulent charities that try to pretend that they're doing something for veterans and they haven't. Uh, we continue to do work. We just recently took an action against the largest loan servicer, Navient, that we believe we can show has been uh, steering students who have large student debt in in the wrong direction, which is ending up costing these students and their parents a ton more money. So we're continuing to do the work, but we're not going to stop putting a fight up against Donald Trump when he tries to tear down what we built. All right, we're going to take a short break. We're going to continue our chat with California's Attorney General Javier Becerra. You're listening to Political Breakdown from KQED Public Radio. Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. Parking at SFO is easy when you book online. You can choose dates and times in advance and secure the best rates to make your departure stress-free. Learn more at flysfo.com parking. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions. Online or through Star One's mobile app, Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. Welcome back. This is Political Breakdown. I'm Katie Orr here with Scott Schaefer, and we're talking to our guest tonight. He's the guy who has the job some call the state's top cop, Attorney General Javier Becerra. Thank you so much again for being here with us today. Do you, you ever Katie. have a gun? Are you, are you eligible to carry a gun? Do you have a permit? Uh, I are don't. You packing? I don't pack, <laughs> um, and I'm, I'm fortunate that I do have security that with me, but I don't pack. And we have most people don't know this, Scott, one of the largest law enforcement agencies in the country, uh, the D- Division of Law Enforcement within the California Department of Justice. They're, think of them as the state's version of the FBI. Hmm. You know, we were doing our research for this, and uh, we came across a fun little segment with you, Stephen Colbert, Better Know a District. <laughs> that was 2006. Oh. Okay. <laughs> that had, was yeah. my toughest interview because it was, wasn't really an interview. We're just a prop for Stephen Yeah, Colbert. tell us a little bit about that. I, You know, watching it, you're obviously playing his straight man. What yeah. do they tell you? Well, How and did just to say, that? in case people haven't seen it, so that they he started this thing after the, what well, must have been the 2000. Six election, I guess, and where he was interviewing different members of Congress, and yes. and they were like you said, you were just the straight guy. Yes. So how did how did you why did you decide to do that, and uh, what was the what was that like that experience? Yeah, and actually, straight guys being polite, we were like <laughs> more like the punching bag for his jokes, and. Uh, well, you know what? It was important because he was really trying to do a service and give people a chance to meet their representatives, trying to do it in a in a way that was comedic, uh, and unfortunately, some some members didn't know better, and they got themselves trapped in his joke. And before you knew it, they really were the butt of a, of a mm. joke. I, I did it because I thought it was important to get out there. Uh, I actually, I probably prepped more for that interview than I have for any other. How did you pre- how do you prep yeah. for a Stephen Colbert interview? Well, part of it is, no, you're not really going to answer a question because <laughs> it's not really a question meant to be answered, right? It's just, And it was really fascinating because during the taping of it, uh, he would ask me a question. 
and clearly it was a zinger, and I'd answer it in a certain way. And then he'd pause for a second and he'd smile. Then he'd pose a question and it'd be the exact same question. I'm thinking, what's what he happened? doing? Yeah. Right. What's he doing? So I'd answer again and he'd pause. Then he'd ask the exact same question again. Huh. And essentially, a three-minute, four-minute segment took about an hour and a half Wow. Oh, my take. God. Wow. So, I mean, he did some things that, if it weren't Stephen Colbert, who plays kind of, who played was kind of a blustery, kind of a Bill O'Reilly kind of character. Right. Uh, but, you know, he said some things that, you know, could, would be, be construed as racist, I would say. <laughs> you, at the time, I think, were, were pushing to get a, was it a Latino cultural or the arts? Museum of the American Latino. Yeah. And so yeah. he started showing you these pictures of, like, <laughs> um, old-time uh, paintings, famous paintings yes, with, yes. like, sombreros and all kinds of <laughs> Like, what did you make of that? Like, did you know that was coming? Did they give you any warning? They did not, uh, but I took advantage, and I tried to explain why it was important to have a museum that could show <laughs> the history and contributions of people of American, uh, in our American history, who are of Latino descent. So I, I got to get a few things out. Like, he had he had that portrait of uh, Washington crossing the Delaware. <laughs> yeah. You know, in With that boat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he had him in, in a big sombrero, and there yeah. was a piñata in the, in the boat. And I said, well, actually, if you think about it, there were Latinos that helped us win this, the uh, Revolutionary War. And I had an opportunity to explain that, yeah, they were, were not for the southern flank run by Bernardo del Galvez, General del Galvez, uh, we might never have won the war. And, uh, and that's maybe, what Galveston was named yeah. after. And that you kind of transitioned <laughs> exactly. into that, I think. Exactly. So I got to explain some of the history of why <laughs> it's so important to know where we are. Yeah. What uh, I'm curious, you talked about your family, and I think you ha- have three sisters, and you have three daughters. You're married. Your wife is a physician. There's a lot of women in your life. Lucky uh, man. Yeah. Yes. So, like, who's in charge? And what's it, how, how I think have... you just named the bosses. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how, what was it like growing up with three sisters? I think it was great. Um, I, I think women just have a much more sensible way of looking at life and at um, work and at love and everything else and they're just more rational um really i think it, <laughs> yeah scott you and i better go drinking <laughs> <laughs> i'm not arguing any yeah. of those points <laughs> no i really do i really do i think um there's just a balance mm-hmm. uh that women bring to most issues and affairs and uh, I'm, I'm very fortunate most of the people i've had working for me at highest levels have been women as well what have you learned from them as I said, uh, patience, um, deliberation, uh, listening, and being real about what you're saying instead of putting putting up facades. Hmm. So they have a less tolerance for BS. Well, you know, it, 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 I think women have always been sort of the fulcrum. And they don't have the time to sort of play the games that guys have always gotten to play. We, you know, in those prehistoric days, we'd go out there and get to do the hunting and we'd, you know, bring back the kill. And But mom had to decide how to make sure everybody ate. Mm-hmm. And uh, she had to make sure the brood was still around. And so I just I just think it's a different life. Uh, think of the lioness. Um, she's the one that does really all the work. Uh, and so to me, women have never gotten their due. But I've been fortunate to be the beneficiary of uh, learning from them. So along those lines, do you think this, uh, you know, the Women's March and all that we've seen since the November 2016 election, are you hopeful that this will result in some real change uh, in terms of getting more women elected or more family-friendly policies? Or do you think, you know, like so many things we've seen kind of 
gather steam and then kind of die out. I think with with these recent manifestations we've seen involving, call it the women's movement. I think it's uh, it's that evolution that you see in the emancipation of women, where women are finally beginning to believe that they can break out. So I don't think it's the end of it, but I don't think it's going to be the way we've seen them in seen these things in the past where they burst out and all of a sudden you expect everything to change. See how that's, we're getting, women are far more patient than guys. And so I don't think they have to see it happen tomorrow, but so long as it happens. And I think now women believe that things are moving in their direction. Well, I mean, there is the threat of the, a new Supreme Court justice yep. who might set that movement back. Yeah, but again, I think that it's it would only be temporary because I think that tide, you cannot stop it once it comes. And so long as women put it in their mind that they're going to do it, I, I think they're going to do it. You know, speaking of the Supreme Court, there there is, I think, an assumption that Brett Kavanaugh is going to be confirmed one way or another, and he, the court will move further to the right. And, you know, there's a sense, I think, of a lot of people, at least Democrats who live in California, that this is such a deep blue state, uh, and there's an attorney general like you who is going to sue to protect our values and so on and so forth. You know, how much of that do you think is an illusion, you know, that we can sort of live on our own, essentially, and not be affected by what's happening in Washington? It's a 100% illusion. You, we, we cannot. We're not an island. Uh, we're part of the United States. Uh, and... It shows why it's so important to make sure that that branch of government we call the judiciary does the right thing. My fear is not so much that uh, this latest nomination is going to undermine the rights of people. I think it'll slow things down if Kavanaugh uh, reaches the high court. My fear is that an institution which most people have given far higher deference to than they do the executive branch or the legislative branch will become nothing more than another political body like the executive and legislative branches. And you can't afford to do that. When the referee doesn't seem like uh, he or she's any different than the other partisans, then you really lose something. Yeah. And, and of course, he's uh, appointing a lot of judges, the president is, to the appeals court level. And most, the vast majority of cases never make it up to the Supreme Court. So in some ways, those appointments, those lifetime appointments are more important. Crucial. Crucial. Yeah. So um, I want to, you became attorney general. You had been in Congress. I think you served about 16 years? 24. 24. You were elected in 92. Yeah. That's right. I'm bad at math. <laughs> not, not my part. So you, you served uh, many, many years in Congress. And then uh, Kamala Harris gets elected to the U.S. Senate, and uh, Jerry Brown comes a calling. Did, was that out of the blue? I mean, did you, did you like put your application in? I mean, you know, how did, how did that happen? Uh, totally out of left field. Um, I never submitted a piece of paper. It happened in a matter of about two days, and it was all done long distance. I was in D.C. Uh, the governor was back here in California, and uh, it just clicked. I I give Jerry Brown a lot of credit. Not not just I mean in terms of this attorney general position. I just I think Jerry Brown understood California, and we got him at the right time. And he was in the right place to be governor. And I am I was a beneficiary of one of his decisions. Was it a hard decision for you? Uh, yes and no. Yes, in the sense that I thought I still had work to do in, at the federal level. I had, as I said, 24 years in. I was uh, the fourth-ranking Democrat in the House. I thought I still had a future. Uh, 
in federal government? Uh, no, in the sense that uh, it, it's not the position. It's making the biggest difference you can. And as I thought about it, uh, it became clear to me. Uh, I can probably make a bigger difference being the attorney general for a, a state like California than if I were just a, one member in the House of Representatives. There has been uh, a lot of push back, I would say, in the Democratic Party to the current leadership, Nancy Pelosi. Uh, there's a lot of, uh, I think, uh, concern that uh, she's hurting the Democrats' chances. There's sort of this uh, this young woman who got knocked off Joe Crowley uh, in uh, in the Bronx, stunning everybody. What do you think is the what should the party be doing in terms of leadership? Does it need a new generation of leaders? So maybe 27 years ago when I was first getting into this stuff, I would have said, yeah, there's a need for a new generation <laughs> of leaders. I've been in it long enough to know that uh, it's not the newness that makes things work. It's the fight that you have in you. And Jerry Brown, Nancy Pelosi, these are all folks who've been in the fight. They know how to be prepared for the next fight. I will say this. Um, at the end of the day, when Nancy Pelosi is gone from politics, I think she's going to be remembered as one of the greatest leaders in the Congress and one of the best speakers that we've seen. And so for me, you're, if you're better, get the votes and prove it. Uh, Nancy's human is human like everyone else. And if you can get more votes than she can, then you get to be the next leader. But you can't just say simply because she's been there for 14, 16 years, or that she's a little older than you are, that she shouldn't get to serve. She wins because she gets votes. And that's, it's not just fighting. It's fighting and winning. And there's a lot of loyalty, too, that she has in the sure. caucus. Because well, she knows how to fight and she knows how to win. I mean, you've obviously been in politics uh, for a long time yet. I was struck when we were doing this research, so many um, articles written about you called you like a new kind of politician. You seem to be described as a, as a a new a new kind of politician often. Why do you think that is? Why do people consider you to be kind of outside of the norm? <laughs> um, well, there, we've never had a an American of Latino descent be attorney general, so I'm a new in that sense. Uh, no one had ever served uh, in on the Ways and Means Committee in the House uh, coming from a Latino heritage as well. Uh, so in, in some respects, I think it's the newness of having someone who's slightly different, uh, coming from a different background. But other than that, I'm not sure. Uh, you know, it's titles. Is there a big difference, you think, between the way Latino elected officials are viewed in D.C. versus Sacramento? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. How so? Sacramento, we're much more accustomed to seeing it. We've had a speaker. We've had a Senate majority leader. Now have an AG. Uh, you've got several statewide office holders who are Latino. D.C., there are very few of us. Uh, and so it's still new. New, yeah. See, that's why it's it's not that it's not that we're new and that we're a different breed. We're you know like Martians or anything. It's just that we haven't been around there, and that's the thing. You have to break in. Barack Obama was pretty new because mm -hmm. we never had an, a black president, but he was a good president. You know, much of California's population is Latino, and it will be more in the coming years. How do you think? Uh, politicians like yourself should go about reaching out to those potential voters who from what we've seen so far, have not turned out in the numbers that they could be turning out. It has become part of the culture to vote. Um, and 
unfortunately for a lot of communities, uh, voting has never really produced anything for them. I know very few people who act based on just some ideal or nobility. It's, what have you done for me lately? Uh, you want my help? You want my vote? What have you done for me lately? And unfortunately, so many of these communities never felt that they had anybody with them. We got to instill a, a sense of culture that if I vote, things will be done for me. We have just a few seconds left. We hear you're a good poker player. Is that yeah. true? You got a good poker face? I used to play poker a long time ago. I love to play it. You learn a lot. You can read people. And that helps me. <laughs> okay, very good. <laughs> Comes in handy in Sacramento, I'm sure. Javier Becerra, thank you so much for coming in. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. That does it for this edition of Political Breakdown. It's a production of KQED Public Radio. You can check us out anytime. You'll find us at Apple Podcasts. And you can also rate, review, and subscribe to The Breakdown there. Our producer is Guy Marzarati. Our engineer, Seal Muller. Ethan Lindsay is our managing editor. Holly Kernan is our vice president of news. I'm Scott Schaefer. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Scott Schaefer. And I'm Katie Orr. You can follow me on Twitter. It's at one Katie Orr. That's a wrap for this week's political breakdown from KQED. We'll see you next time, everyone. See ya. A young correctional officer. He said it was the most dangerous prison in California. Forced to make a choice. Fulfill his oath or back his fellow officers. Recognize the badge of my office. I'm Suki Lewis from KQED Podcasts comes On Our Watch Season 2, New Folsom. A story about who gets hurt when the system that promises to keep us safe is bent on protecting itself. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, John Favreau here. There's no shortage of political takes in 2024, but quantity doesn't cut it. We need a better conversation about the latest biggest election of our lives. On Pod Save America, me and my co-host cut through the noise to help you figure out what matters and how you can help. Every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday, Pod Save America is breaking down the political news that makes us laugh, cry, and snap our laptops in half. Expensive year for laptops. Make sure to check out new episodes of Pod Save America on your favorite podcast platform or our YouTube channel now.